Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. Episode 122, let's elevate that conversation. And with us this week is Julie. Hey guys, glad to be here. Awesome. Come on down. This is right. I feel like, oh man. So this, uh, this week we're going to do story time a little bit different. We're going to talk about key takeaways, not from the keynote speakers who you'll hear from a little bit later in the episode, at least a small snippet from each of the keynote talks. But what people were talking about, what questions people had, kind of reoccurring themes that you saw pop up or interesting discussion without disclosing the who, what, where, when, and why mm. about what people were talking about in groups that you found interesting in their individual pulse groups. I'm going to give you guys both a second to think about that, though, because first I am going to share one story time segment because because people have asked. They've even asked, like, are you going to share pictures and post? Like, I'm not going to let you all know how to break into my house. So we're not going to oh, post so everything. No, no blog. Out yeah, into the world. Thing. Right. <laughs> but. I do want to take you along through the process. And again, this is a slightly different process for me and than what many of you do in home building and that so far in the process, the custom process is just a different animal. And there's a million decisions to make. If you feel like for your customers, building a production home is a challenge with a lot of decisions to make, or you know, in the two hours at the design studio, I just wish sometimes there was a real design studio. So to give you an idea of the level of detail that we get into at times, which is especially hard for my better half, we were asked by the kitchen designer uh, this morning, would we prefer a four inch or six inch toe kick on our refrigerator? Oh, of course. And of course yeah. you knew that right off the top of your head, right? Well, yes. I, the good thing is <laughs> I knew immediately that I definitely wanted a six inch. No, I had no, I didn't even know what the toe kick <laughs> was on the cabinets. And then like anything, especially if you're in the industry, huh. you're like, I feel like I should know that. And is there a right answer for the style and type of home we're building? Should it be six inches? Even And then is what's the cost for that? And then the mental energy of thinking I'm probably ruining some poor costing person's day by saying like, can you please tell us the cost difference between four and six? Cause I didn't yeah. even care, yeah. but maybe I should. <laughs> no. And if it's $10, I mean, six more sounds better. I think, I don't know. Um, so it has been a process. We, tomorrow we go for our final, uh, design meeting with the, with the designer that is employed by the home building company. And the idea is hopefully, I think, to get like 90% of all interior and exterior selections finalized. She's going to help us kind of pull it all together. We've already had, you know, the 12 different meetings with each vendor and supplier uh, in, in pre-meeting. But okay. the other thing that I think marketers need to be aware of, and I'm more aware of than in recent memory, is how you teach and train every member of the organization to interact with the prospect around pricing and value. I think I mentioned this last time I talked about my house, but uh, at the price point of home that we're building, the gentleman doing interior hardware selection for, for door doorknobs was concerned that our selection that we had chosen would add another $500 in total cost to the home. And interesting. We're like, 
totally fine. But, but because of the way that he framed it to us, it made us concerned that maybe he wasn't showing us options or things that we should consider. Mm, yeah. Like because I he spend a thousand on my door. Exactly. Handles. That seems affordable and or something. Yeah. He, may, maybe, yeah. maybe he was just showing us the standard one or two choices or trying to keep us in some preconceived notion of pricing. Now, if you're a sales manager or a salesperson, I know, I know you are screaming at the audio system you're listening on saying, because everyone always wants more than they can afford. And we're just trying to get them in that. I understand that. But I also understand that at Heartland, we sold price points from the one fifties to 1.4 million. And if everyone treated the customer interaction around options and pricing and perceived value the same with the $1.2 million buyer as the 150 townhome buyer, that would be a problem. Yeah, absolutely. See that. Mm-hmm. So I don't even have the answer for you. We don't do sales training, but I think as a, as a marketer, you should be talking to sales leaders in your organization and, and auditing what is being said and how, and then trying to figure out if there's ways. And we, we've talked about this before, um, using a color coding system to say, this is a, uh, a prestige buyer or a first time buyer. So that anytime someone's interacting with the paperwork, there's a color code of what kind of buyer is this? Is this someone who's had a bad experience before? Is this someone who is an engineering type and will always need extra detail? I think as we talk about ways to make the experience better, uh, understanding the basic profile uh, from, from a purchaser perspective, what kind of purchaser is this? Um, is important to consider. The other thing super quickly is we were looking around at model homes because okay. we're looking now not to purchase, but for inspiration. Mm, you're one of yes. those. Well, yes, it, ideas. You know, I, I'm not Andrew. My wife is one of those. If I looked at a cabinet and Julie said, imagine this white cabinet with a gray finish, my wife could not do that. And so she has to see pictures, which is where Hal's and Pinterest have come back in um, to to our lives in an unfortunate way because (laughs) builder sites are 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 woefully lacking in the type of content she needs. You're saying that, yeah, that she needs. Yeah, I think that's for a certain type of person. Like you, just you will. There can never be enough, right? Which might be twenty percent of all buyers. I don't know, or thirty or ten. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You said that. I like it. But as we were touring or getting ready to tour, because our kids were gone for the weekend, hallelujah, full oh recovery goodness. from the pulse um, vacation was, was much easier with them gone. She wanted to go out and look at models. And so she pulled up a rather large home builder here and she's on the mobile version of the site. Of course, we're already in the car on our way out to, but we don't know where we're going yet. <laughs> and she says, now, where would I go on this site? Do you think to find where the models are? And mm-hmm. Julie, if I asked you on most home builder websites, where would you go to find where the models are? You would have to go into the community page. You can right. find it, but you would have to get all the way into the community page. Yeah. There's no, <laughs> most, most home builder websites do not have a top level um, page that has model locations listed. So I knew the answer, but I wasn't going to just tell her the answer. I was like, well, quickly tell me what are your options? Uh, communities, quick move in homes about us, photo galleries. I go, well, which one of those would you pick? And she's like, Kevin, I don't know. That's why I asked you. <laughs> she, she did not know. And the answer is very quick and obvious to, to most of us listening. You would go to communities, but then does every community have a model? Are those model hours consistent or is it kind of open sometimes? And sometimes it's kind of not depending on staffing. It's, it's 
all these different. And so the thing she said, and she's never said this, thankfully she doesn't listen to the podcast. So it's kind of <laughs> out of her. So we can say whatever we want about this experience. She said, you need to tell everyone on the podcast that not having a functional search option on your site is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so she, my wife just scolded all of you. Not, not me, you, that you need to have Love some it. top level. She's like, just a magnifying button where I can type in models and find the model page. I'm not asking for, in this instance, the world. I'm just asking to know where can I go see your homes. So that is story time. Okay. I think that was long enough, like hopefully, it. to give you guys yep. time Maybe, to. Could you give, I think you could give behind the scenes on your office build. Would that be a compromise? I think people like, Oh, that's, sure. Yes. That, that'd be like, not necessarily, you know, yeah, it's not super right. private, but it's like, here's where everyone's going to see anyways. That might yeah. be cool. To yeah, see that, the behind scenes on that. That would be fun. So yeah. And what I'm trying to do, it's a space over the garage. That's, that's rather large. And nice. at some point it may be a bedroom. So there's some compromise in terms of the studio idea there. But in general, I, my hope is to have one area that I work and one area that I can film where the resistance of setting up lights properly, getting microphones in place oh, man. and just having, you know, it's like, this is where I go to do my, my desk work. And this is where, if I'm on camera, uh, where I can be in a different environment where kind of, kind of like a mini pulse. Setup. Yeah. I would say where pulse 2021 could be. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Me. Yeah. And separated from the family. If it's over the garage, huh? You don't have to worry about soundproofing. That is the biggest deal for sure. Early on when the kids were younger, you had the chance that they could break in at any moment, but now that they're bigger, they're just, there's elephants walking around in my house all there's the time. Elephants. And I don't know <laughs> yeah. what they're doing. Like, but why would you make that much noise? Crazy. Oh my goodness. It's crazy. So that's got to happen. Awesome. Uh, but plot plan has been finalized. We have to submit everything to the de developer for approval in terms of architectural and, and house location. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be um, digging a hole in the next 45, 60 days. So there oh, may not man. be much update until then. That's so exciting. All right. Pulse uh, hallway talk, so to speak. We talked about this with the Builder Show. What are people talking about in the hallways? What, 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 were, what were the attendees talking about, asking questions about, interested in? From your guys' perspective, not having to be on camera, what did you pick up? Who wants to go first? Julie, you want to go first? I'll go. Knock sure. Yeah. Right. Um, I heard quite a bit about hiring and staffing. So mm. people are either, mm -hmm. number one, staffing up because increased leads and activity and all these things, but also things are just shifting around. So um, maybe they figured out that their model homes don't need to be open constantly because they were closed during COVID and it worked well with appointments. So how does that all work with the transitions? Um, people are trying to get more content. So they're trying to figure out how to um, shift marketing roles around so that somebody can be, you know, have more time for that. So a lot of it for me was people talking about how other people staffed, how many people were on their staff and just the vision of responsibilities. I love that. We talked about two positions that I think are going to be critical over the next five years, if not now for, for many of you listening is someone who is actually creating content full time uh, and, and understands how to use the basic tools of a camera or is a fantastic writer, editor personality. But, but there's just at some point in time, and I, I do think I'll see this in my lifetime, almost all the platforms now that we rely on from an ad standpoint is going to be so focused on giving the customer exactly what they want as fast as they want to the best of their ability 
it almost seems hilarious to think that 30 years from now that I would be able to pay Facebook and Instagram $1.25 to jump the line, so to speak. The AI will be so smart and so focused on customer satisfaction. If I have an inferior product or an inferior solution or inferior content to jump to the front of the line for a, a buck or two, I just don't see... Now, that's obviously going to mean they're going to have to change, you know, will they monetize in a different way? Will we, will we be paying a monthly or yearly fee to be part of those platforms? Will there be, it'd be like Amazon prime, uh, where there's bundled services altogether. I don't know, but I just, I'm telling you the idea of interrupting people mm-hmm. and not having the better content and the better solution at some point will not work. It will. I think with the content, it's almost like if you are on well, you don't even see it. Like if you just glance on TikTok or real, I'm using those examples because there is so much bad content that doesn't get anywhere because it's just exactly. so terrible. But what you see on there is like the 1% of what is entertaining and gains traction. Yep. I think at some point, just like our acceptance of poor content in five years, like is it's almost like that's unacceptable. Like you can't have bad pictures. You can't have bad video. You can't have a poor whatever is going on. Like, I think that's why that supports what you're saying. And like, you will have to have that role in house to be able to keep up. And it has right. to be someone who's completely capable of knocking out, say a video in a, in a, in a day, like mm-hmm. or two or three or four, depending on what platform it's going to be pushed out to. Yep. And I think that can seem overwhelming for smaller builders because they have all these different things they want to do. So just, I think one of the, secrets is hiring well and hiring somebody who can do more than one thing. Of course, they're not going to know how to do everything. They're not going to be an expert at every single thing you want them to be an expert at, but get somebody who has a toe in several things that can grow in those areas and bring you more, you know, more areas, more content from different directions, the writing, the photography, the video, whatever it is. And just get the right person in that seat, I think is important. And I think even if they're not, like you said, experts in all that stuff, they have to have enough expertise or experience to be able to vet the right partners. Yeah. That's, and this is not a self-serving message, but finding the right partners to fill the vacancies in, in terms of human like bodies, if you're missing a role and you have to fill it or just expertise. And I use the example of saying, you know, someone who, who has three months of experience in home building and marketing, joining a larger organization who is just kicking off a major website redesign project. How do you think that's going to go? Right. If you don't, yeah. if you don't have the right partners that, that are building the website with you or the right strategic coaching help to, to get you through that process. And with content, for some reason, we forget that it's the same thing. You can't just say, mm-hmm. I'm an amazing photographer now because I have a, an iPhone or I can write because I have Word on my computer, yeah. you know? Yep, yeah, I agree. I agree. So yeah, I, I, th- I do think positions and staffing was huge. We need more online salespeople desperately. We need content people. And then the other one that I got a lot of follow-up questions on related to that same idea, Julie, was the marketing technologist role. And what the heck is mm-hmm. that? That's what a term that? I have not heard. What is that word? P.S. For those of you who don't know, Andrew is our marketing technologist. There you go. We, yeah, we, we talked about that, didn't we? Yeah. We, and so <laughs> there's two parts as I've Funny. answered it. I have to clarify. I've clarified my own definition, so to speak. One part is the ability to translate among all different parts of the organization. 
So it's it's a full-time translator negotiator between marketing, IT, and sales in, in some respect. But then it's also someone who, like you were just talking about, Julie, from the content perspective, from a technology perspective, knows how to be able to predict at, with a high degree of accuracy whether something is possible to be done or not, mm-hmm. at what potential cost and at what potential time frame. Like imagine if, <laughs> if we could go back in time 10 years ago and there was a role of marketing technologist who could tell you the honest to goodness truth about how long and how expensive your CRM implementation will be. <laughs> right. Mm. That, that's why you need that person. And so mm-hmm. the next thing that you do like that is going to be like, how do we use all of our data to better forecast sales results? What type of content needs to be created to, to use AI to its full extent? You better do that right. And you better not just say, well, um, I took a 15 minute free course on AI. So now I'm going to be the one to lead our company through this. That's, that would be a danger zone. So in our case, anyone on our team can go to Andrew and say, Andrew, do you think this could work? And Andrew's like, I mean, you start saying words, I don't know. And I don't understand. <laughs> and I, like I took programming classes. I can, I could program a snake to eat apples on an, on an Love apple two C, but it's, it's even at a different level of like, yeah, I think there's a program that could do that. We could get this database. It's, it's understanding what's possible and then helping to lead the team through it. Yeah. And I think that person is the antagonist. I don't think that's not the right word because that'd be against, but it's really, they're, they're the yin and yang. They're like, they work together. I think that could be like the leading marketing setup and say mm-hmm. one year, two year, three years, both of those working in conjunction, one super weighted on the technical side. And the other one is super weighted on the creative side that I think long-term that kind of in-between person would be a little bit tough because they can't do either. Well, there's still a role for that type of person who's fits on the middle. If you have like a, a spectrum of MarTech and then like the creative type, but I think, you'll need more extremes on on the end. Yes. And and you're right. You're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to find someone who's more nerdy and help them understand over time, marketing and sales and home building, you know, but I would just say when in doubt, go towards the nerd to to another (laughs) level. Again, I call myself a nerd, but you have to have some access to someone, if not someone on your team, who's an Andrew peak level nerd slash marketing technologist. I love it. I love it. So this was, this fits right into nerd talk. Um, so one builder, they went through, you know, they, everyone went through COVID and they first started off with having, so they had access to the homes and then you went in and then they had the, I forgot the brand, but it's pretty much the, the iPad robot salesperson that can move around. Do you want to talk? Yeah. And then, so they started with that, but then they ended up settling on a much I think simpler solution where the salesperson is on a TV in the living room. And so, and they found people loved it. Like if that, so they would self-serve, they would kind of like walk around the mm-hmm. home, they would look at it. And then if they had questions, they would, they know that the salesperson or the OSC, whoever it is, that's kind of on duty for those homes during the day yep. or the weekend, they would go to, you know, the family room, the living room where the TV was, and there's waiting your help. And there was tons of feedback there. Everyone, when this conversation was going on, was super excited. They're like, oh, tell me about that. It was just like, yeah, they were, everyone, I could tell they were like, we need to do this. That doesn't even seem very complicated to, to get set up compared to the robot expense versus just having essentially a web camera on the TV. And then it, you just turn it on. Yeah. 
I love it. Yeah. I love it. Anything else that you heard people talk about, Andrew? Um, content is fitting in there too. Just the desire to have more. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like they had this like epiphany over the pulse for some reason. Like, oh, we need more content. We need more content. Like who's doing the videos? And it's like, talk well, about this builder yeah. and this builder. And I, it was like, it seemed to click with quite a few people. Like, oh, we need to do more. I think it's because they finally saw like, oh, that builder who's doing 200 homes per year, this is what they're doing for the video work. Right. How, oh, how is it possible that, that they have that much high quality video and they only do 200 homes a year? Yeah. So kind of in a sense, they can stop lying to themselves about yes. the ability to ignore it. They saw the light and they're like, we could do it. It's, it's almost like you need to see someone that is, I don't know, I, I play mm-hmm. guitar and whatnot. But if you hand your guitar to someone who's an expert and they play something and you're like, oh, that thing I play with is possible is that's capable of making those noises. It's, I think it's the same thing. Like you see your peers and like, Oh, well they're doing that. I could do it too. Like, why not? Yeah. I think the one other example for that was looking at Ben Rutt's website at Keystone custom Mm. homes and Mm -hmm. their gallery. Big apologies to all website developers everywhere. I think we <laughs> or they got should, you some more they hours. They should be thanking you, right? On, well, yeah, one way or the other. <laughs> one way or the other. But again, for a company of his size to have the level of detail, I don't have the slide up in front of me. It was like the finishing on the, the finish of a faucet. You could look for that in the gallery and see all the pictures that have a faucet or some type of plumbing fixture with that finish Amazing. in it, as an example. Um, just the yeah. level of detail that was in that photo gallery tool was incredible. It was and people like, love that. Cause we're, we're trying to plan like our backyard because it's just a piece of grass and we don't use it. And we're like, we need to do something with it. I, f- I feel like house, you know, house or however mm-hmm. you're going to house, like their filter is all houses. <laughs> it's like almost there. And they need to look at Keystone site and figure out like, Oh, if I click on outdoor and then patio, like I want to, have another whole layer of filters that I could put into there to yeah. see the projects. Cause there's, you know, there's like a hundred, hundred and 443,000 pictures of patio designs. Like we could, we could organize that a bit better. Yep. And Keystone did it. So shout out to them. The other topic that did come up quite a bit were price increases Oh yeah, <laughs> and how to deal with Ooh. price increases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely um, a commonality out there right now. Yeah. And I think it's a challenge. A lot of people are dealing with and, figuring out right now. So, yep. And different strategies too. Some builders Mm -hmm. saying we're, we're very conscientious of the fact that what must, what goes up must come down. And so we don't want to overshoot and we are intentionally choosing not to raise pricing in the hopes that some of these commodities will balance out. So, you know, what I sold the home originally lumber was at X now mm-hmm. it's gone up to X plus a thousand percent. And instead of freaking out and increasing by a thousand percent, saying by the time the job actually starts and I order that lumber or, or pay for that lumber, I hope it's going to come back down and balance itself out. So e- even the, what seems very simple and straightforward of why are they talking about price increases? Just take the price increase and you can't avoid it. You just got to do it. There is nuance to that, that it was, that was good to see people discussing and sharing how they're approaching that topic for sure. And Ben Rudd is going to be a guest on the podcast. I think we've been chasing him for a good six oh. months and me nice. giving him a shout out in front of 350 people. <laughs> uh, yeah. He, he like signed it. up that day. He's like, thanks for the shout out. I'm coming on to talk about other things they are doing on the customer experience front, which will be awesome to hear Ben uh, and, and his entire family, the entire organization is a really, really great company that you guys will enjoy getting to know. Okay. 
a uh, little different today. Um, we're going to jump to news and then after news, there will do a quick break and I'm going to, I'm going to personally curate five minutes of amazing content from all of our keynote speakers. Oh, so five minutes from Scott Stratton, five minutes from Melanie Diesel, five minutes from Rhonda Conger and five minutes from Jeff Shore, just to give those of you who did attend a little way to reminisce while the recordings are in process. And for those of you who were not able to attend, just a little idea of, of what the keynote folks had to say around uh, the pulse of today's market and where we should all be. So I think you'll enjoy that, but let's hop on over to the news. And the first article that we've got here is, and again, uh, the, the time zone warp. Um, not all this is breaking now, but um, from Mike Dupree, Zillow's brokerage news and the two megatrends of real estate tech. That's MikeDP.com. This is from October 7th. And he's got a really cool chart at the top that just shows like why you shouldn't have been surprised by what's happening. And the, the axes of the chart are um, less of the transaction. So how many different parts of the home purchase do you want to be involved in to more of the transaction? And then far from the transaction, meaning you're just involved in the initial stages and maybe not even part of the actual sale of the home itself. And then closer to the transaction at the top. And he charts many different large real estate organizations, uh, Zillow being one of them. And the idea is closer to the transaction first and, and then eventually probably more of the transaction as well. But right now, Zillow is trying to get as close to that transaction as possible to the point of buying and selling homes with the, uh, with the idea that they're going to be able to bundle uh, uh, ancillary parts of that transaction to, to end up getting more of it as well. And the interesting idea that I reason I wanted to bring this up as a counterpoint is when we interviewed everyone when the no, when the news broke, the basic take of it, and I still hear this a lot, is hey, you know what? I'm just got I got to focus on my own brand. I got to focus on my own stuff that I can control, and Zillow's going to do what Zillow's going to do. Almost like just put blinders on and treat your customer the best way possible, and all will be well. And I really liked Mike's point here of ignore this at your own risk. He said, basically, that strategy is only half right. Ignoring what Zillow is doing brings its own peril. Just ask travel agents and video store owners, both industries that Mr. Barton has had a hand in disrupting. So uh, Barton, who is the, the CEO of Zillow, uh, also founded Expedia and is on the board at Netflix. So I think it's a great point. Like you can still focus on your customer and do everything above and beyond. <laughs> You cannot really ignore what Zillow is doing. I don't think you guys have any perspective on that or thoughts. Oh, no, I absolutely agree. And I think, like you said, it's it's not a surprise. You know, they've been kind of leaning that way for a while. So we I don't think any of us were surprised by it. But I think, yeah, people just need to keep an eye on it. Don't freak out over it. You know, don't panic. But also mm -hmm. you can't ignore it. Because the industry's changing and you want to be out out ahead of it. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Change is inevitable. It's going to happen. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, you definitely cannot ignore it. Um but I think you can't be distracted by it either. Like you can't let it uh uh what's the word? uh polarize you. Like you can't let it paralyze you. Excuse mm -hmm. me. You can't just be like, oh no, we can't do anything now. Like, do we invest in all this content? Because what if Zillow changes something? It's like, well, you still yep. like need to do that. Um, probably even more so, 
um, if you're having to play more with their algorithms and say, like with Google's. And certainly most of the audience of this website is real estate agents and brokers who are certainly at more immediate threat. So it's not like, why is Kevin trying to say that Zillow is something we need to ignore at our own peril? That's not what I'm, Zillow is not coming to take, take your business, uh, home builders. But what, what it, if you put yourself in, in the position of a real estate broker, you do what you can, you can, you focus, you don't freak out. Again, I completely agree with that, but it does probably mean you have to think about partnerships with or without Zillow, meaning I'm either going to get in, in bed more with the platform and benefit as long as I can, as much as I can, or I'm going to create other alternative partnerships. And so the idea here is whoever the Zillow is in new home construction, meaning the brand that is taking over things. Because I do believe over time, the way that marketing technology is is adjusting and consumer, like there will be fewer and f- fewer large home building organizations over time. There'll be more mergers and acquisitions. And eventually there will become someone who is is growing and, and innovating at the rate that Zillow is doing on the existing home space in terms of actual construction, like the people building the homes and, and that, so it's just an interesting idea to think about, you know, what, what do you do in that instance? You certainly focus what you can control, but you also better realize I need a, I need a different strategy too, that I'm also tinkering with and, and, and working on, on the side. So that is not to completely ignore it. I don't know. I feel like I got a little too meta there at the end. Apologies to the audience. Like let's, it. let's get back to reality. That's good. That is good. <laughs> With searchengineland.com. Ooh. October 14th. Meet Google Analytics 4. Four. Google's vision for the future of analytics. The new analytics adds AI powered insights, tracks users across devices, but does it? And provides more it? granular data controls. Yeah, so this is that's like a this is break, breaking news. This was published today um, or yesterday. But I think the so definitely check out this article. See if you have four yet when you log into analytics. Um, but I think so. I put this in there just to talk about the analytics in a cookieless future. It's down at the very bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short, privacy is going to make tracking and attribution more difficult. I feel like that's been. With if you were to say, hey, what's the theme of your week with 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 talking with builder partners? That's been kind of like get this like foundational thing, like, hey, we see this weird thing going on. We see this, we see this. We're gonna have this lead source, this lead source. And I I'm like, oh my, in like two years, like we just kind of have to accept that tracking is not going to be perfect. And which is weird <sighs> because like five years ago or like other like industries, but it's like that's that's the that's the Bible. That's the truth. That's the, that's what you do. The attribution never lies. And now it's like, Oh, we're going to get away from that. Like in 10 years or five, like privacy might be such a big thing. It's still, it's, it's important. I don't mean mm-hmm. it that way, but we might, it's going to be using models, um, which this is what it implies. Like, it looks like it's going to, it, where's the quote in here? Uh, as, as third-party cookies are phased out, Google anticipates that data sparsity will become the new norm, and it will rely on machine learning to fill the data gaps. Yeah, so so which so, is hey, good. We can only really this. tell what ten percent of your users are actually doing, but the AI believes it can extrapolate it out to give you a, a more full sense of what's going on. Exactly, and then I'll be doing like things where it's um, so. This is cool. This is I'm looking forward to things like this codeless event tracking. So the machine learning, just like if you use Facebook's event setup tool, 
Mm-hmm. Facebook Pixel reads your website. It learns what a button is. And then you could tag that button. Like, oh, if someone clicks that button, that means they requested more information. They become a lead. Whatever action they took, you can then assign that button to actually mean something with your ads. So all those things will get better, but it's more or less like we'll we'll have more data on what they're doing on the site. But I think connecting that to people or where they came from will be the the more difficult part. But we'll know more about like what actually occurs on the site. And we'll, I think we'll know that more easily is what I gather from the, from reading this article. Yeah. It brings up an interesting question though, which they obviously aren't going to talk about in promoting how great this is, is who's controlling that algorithm and the AI that's, that's running the algorithm and the ability to manipulate Without, I mean, we're just creating more black boxes, which is the other yep. trade-off of the speed and the type of world we live in is more black boxes and who's controlling the inputs and outputs and what happens in between in this case is Google. And so that definitely raises some alarm bells and a reason to have a first party data collection policy. And if you don't know what I just said, you can Google it or find your local marketing technologist and ask them. But that is something that you probably need to start thinking about. And it sounds, I mean, I feel bad again for smaller builders who are like, I just got Google Analytics installed like last month. I finally know who's coming on my site and I know exactly. what they're doing. What the heck did he just say? First party data collection. You, you are probably going to have to start experimenting and thinking about that. So that yeah. you own the data and have the ability to access it directly. Yeah, I could see some of the bigger builders um, with bigger mm-hmm. budgets essentially sure. having their own analytics, not as complicated and robust, but right. more a more simple setup. But it would be near perfect in data collection because it's first party, like you're you're collecting the data. But yep. then there's lots of rules and regulations to do. That sounds like fun. Speaking of fun, CNBC.com from October 8th. Why political campaigns are flooding Facebook with ad dollars. That sounds like fun. We should talk about politics and social media. Oh, my gosh, please. I got a bad feeling about this. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Are we? I mean, this is kind of I feel like Boomer wrote this article, right? Like, what are you talking about? Of course they are. It's, it's like, why were they not last time? Why was the overall budget spent on social so low? And what is it about right now that people are finally getting it? But, you know, the quote here, for better or worse, mostly worse, Facebook is the de facto place you go, said Nick Fitz, CEO of online donation site Momentum, which powers the defeat by tweet campaign. I don't know what that is. Don't care. It's hilarious. But they're pouring oh. money in, which leads to only a couple potential outcomes, higher costs for us, especially if you're in a battleground state, that has been a thing that we've seen in some instances where Mm -hmm. costs are rising because someone, we assume as politicians, are buying up more inventory. And they also said that 3% of Facebook's total US revenue in the third quarter would come from political advertising. That doesn't sound like a lot of money, but 3% of their total revenue in a quarter is pretty huge. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. And even not even the whole quarter. Right. Yeah, that's half a quarter or however. Well, yeah, so far, be. 264 million crazy. on Facebook alone in the third quarter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've definitely seen some some markets affected by by the spend. <laughs> not fun. Not fun. What's interesting is and, and this is 
the radio advertising, this is not related to the article, but when I'm in the car, the political radio advertising is insane as well. Like you're, I'm surrounded, I'm in Florida. I don't know if that makes a difference. I'm not paying too much attention to all of it other than on the advertising side. But I'm like, oh my goodness. Like I go on Facebook, it's there. I'm in the car, it's there. Like I can't wait for that. Yeah, part. and so the question is, where is the yeah. money being taken out of to put into social? Is there just more money in general, which could certainly be the case. I make it my job to not really look into much data on political advertising. But is it, is it just more money being spent or is there another channel that is losing out? My hunch would be it would be um, billboards and television. I uh, when I say billboards, I mean like advertising around mass transit, especially, you know, uh, I've heard a lot of people who live in Manhattan talk about like, there's only eight people ever on the subway now whenever they use it. And oh, it man. still stinks, which is also just a funny thought. Like they, they've been cleaning the subway every day for health reasons. And yet it still stinks when you, when you ride it. Oh goodness. All right. Moving on to our last article from Forbes.com. COVID-19 has changed the housing market forever. Here's where oh, Americans are moving and why. Nice. Now this is interesting. And, and anytime you read an article like this, Again, with any data, it's subject to error or misinterpretation. I read another quick article um, about the fact that potential impact on elections, because I don't even know which blue is something and red is something else. Do you guys know? I think blue is uh, more Democratic and red yeah. is Republican. Red is Republican. Yeah. 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 I just Googled that. I pretend like I just found it out, but I <laughs> or th- remembered it. I don't, I don't even know. But it was saying, hey, this could really turn the tides of, a, of an upcoming election because people are leaving blue states and moving to red states. And the assumption of the article was a lot of these more liberal minded individuals that are moving to states that are traditionally more conservative or have been like 50, 50 splits. And that could turn the election in favor of the democratic party. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting and make a really, I mean, they sold me completely on the idea. And then I got on a call with one of our builders who works in uh, multiple states on the West Coast, five or six different states. And she said, oh, no, no, no. I mean, they got the the top line of the stories correct. The bottom line, I don't think is right at all. And I said, that's interesting. Tell me more. She said, the number of people who call our online salespeople and start off by screaming, cursing, whatever of like, get me out of this dang state because of whatever's going on. Right. From a political standpoint. And so so her take was actually the opposite of the red states are probably going to get more red because the people leaving the blue states are the more conservative. Interesting. Interesting. Right. So I'm just setting the table Mm -hmm. here of we should all be having the filter anytime we read anything from anywhere. And I'm including do you convert? There's again, we've talked about this a lot. Everyone has some agenda or perspective, even if they don't have an agenda, they have a perspective. And anytime data is involved, you got to be really, really careful. And and again, I don't even know which one's right or wrong, but there's definitely hearing her talk about that. I was like, huh, those liars over at whatever I read, like, what did they know? Um, So back to this article from Forbes and, and their take is that what is happening uh, that people are are not tied to where they live because of work anymore. So people are getting to choose more where they want to work. So people are moving south to warmer states, west, or to wherever they want to live. Also going more suburban and less urban. 
Yeah, I thought this quote was interesting. It says, no matter who I spoke with, a few words kept resurfacing as we lurch into the post-pandemic future. Warmer, safer, smaller, stabler, lower taxes, less regulation, and fewer lockdowns. Yep. <laughs> Florida. That sounds like Florida. Ohio was <laughs> on the big list up there, too. Uh, there's, they're pulling in data from, I think we shared this like a month ago or so, Zillow had all this data, essentially, uh-huh. like what markets were being affected. And they used that as like a resource as, as the basis of data in this article. You can find that. I'm sure we'll, we'll try to link it. But it's, it's out there. But yeah, it's pretty much like what you would expect. And I don't know. I read it. I'm like, oh, that kind of like, no, oh, this makes sense. Like, I it's think all completely logical. Interesting is then, do you take that knowledge? Because some people might say to do that. Take the knowledge of those words. And is that what you should be marketing? Are those the types of things you should be communicating? <laughs> is we build in a warmer, safer, smaller, stable, lower tax, less regulation, fewer lockdown place? I don't like that at all. So my perspective, we all have one, right? So my yeah. bias is like, people know, like, say you're, you're, say you're working in Florida and you're trying to market your homes. People know Florida's warm. They, you don't want to, maybe you don't say it's too hot, but like, I feel like there's things people already know and you don't have to highlight them other than if you have things that they could then enjoy that for that reason. Like if you have amenities, that means year round amenities, maybe say that, but like warm, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, duh, it's, it's Florida, it's going to be warm. But if there's some unique selling point that you have for that community that fits those things. Right. So example, it's one thing to have a warm environment, but if you have a great backyard or porches as part of a feature of the community, then connecting the product or the amenity or the feature to one of those things. Yeah, I think that's good. That might be a good idea. Yeah. Like optional patio covers, which is like a must in Florida because otherwise you don't use it because it's too hot until winter to go in your backyard. Like I'm talking like why we're looking at changing our backyard setup because you yeah. just split that if that's included, then that is a huge thing over the competition. If they're not doing that, which they'll, they'll soon realize mm-hmm. once they're actually shopping. I think for me, where I just say caution, just slow down again. Maybe that's the featured idea behind this episode is just slow down a little bit. I think COVID has this all or a lot of people worked up of I've got to like quick because you reacted all this quick and you made all these changes and you're just in this mode of like got to go, 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 go. Just slow down and think about it because all those words are not definitions per se. They are variations on a line, a continuum where warmer to Andrew and warmer to Kevin are two different things. Oh, yeah. Cold to me safer, is much different. <laughs> from someone who lives in Manhattan to someone who lives in Columbus, Ohio, safer is two different things. So I think it's important that you don't just latch on to words like these and say, this is what I want to communicate to my prospects. Because again, we say this all the time. We are terrible compared to AI already, all of us, at determining who our best prospects and buyers are. We're just not as good as the AI system. And so that's why when we when we make the radius slightly larger than it probably should be, we end up being surprised that there is that the, those people who want to purchase that didn't come from where we thought they would. And so when you start talking about small, we, we, we build in small town America or, you know, it's a safe place to live. Well, in comparison to what? I think it's important to understand that people yeah. are, are looking at, at your ads and your messaging from all over and have different meanings of of what those, those terms really, how it relates to their new home search. Yeah. That's, 
All right. Slow Sorry, down. guys. I, like I, I feel like I keep bringing this down, down to a deeper level than uh, we should just talk about the article and move on. But I, I've, I, I have a deeper level. This is a we could. I, I don't know when we talk about this or not talk about it because we, we, I think we have a, a deadline today. Maybe this is a good one for next one. I think there could be thoughts on what do we do when we start to slow down because it is fall. And oh, that's for sure. Housing slows down. Maybe that's next week. But I think that that's a great idea because everyone's perspective is going to be like panic. I think there might be like, oh my goodness, this is the end of the world. And other <laughs> ones will be like, praise the Lord. Right. But I think it could be who you work for. Yeah. No, I culture. was on a call today with someone um, and I asked the CEO, I said, how was foot traffic? Which is another weird question for me to ask in a pandemic and in 2020. So yes, just ignore the fact for a second that I asked him that question. There's more to it. I said, how's foot traffic been for you this month? And he said, you know, it's, it's definitely slowed down. And I said, oh, okay, makes total sense. Um, do me a favor, go back and check what your foot traffic in October looks like compared to February. Now, in a normal year, if your foot traffic in October was the same as it was in February, you would be ecstatic. You'd be throwing yeah. parties. Right. But in comparison, the recency bias of look how much traffic we have had, have had to the model homes in uh, July, August, and early September it felt like it had slowed down tremendously. So I think that's a great thing for us to talk about for sure. Yeah. A fun one. Awesome. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. We're, we're going to take a quick break and then we come back, back to back to back to back. You'll hear five minute segments from all of our keynote speakers at Pulse 2020. Thanks again to all of the sponsors. I call them the dream team. It was amazing to have all those folks involved. If you took all those names out of our industry, we would be screwed in the year 2020. We would not be in the same place we are now. So thanks again to, to all the sponsors. So enjoy and we'll see you next week. Bye. See ya. Bye. May you have auspiciousness and causes of success. May you have the confidence to always do your best. May you take no effort in your being generous. Sharing what you can, nothing more, nothing less. May you know the meaning of the word happiness. May you always lead from the beating in your chest. May you be treated like an esteemed guest. All right, here we go. We're going to listen to all four speakers from The Pulse in short little increments just to give you a taste. And we're going to start with... None other than Scott Stratton, who kicked off the line of speakers at the event as well. He's the creator of Unmarketing, international speaker, six-time best-selling author, fantastic human being, and hilarious. I'm not sure if all of his jokes will translate to audio only, but trust me, I've never seen so much reaction and laughter from a speaker. I don't think ever, especially in a virtual setting, it was really, really impressive. So here we go with Scott Stratton. So I want to talk about a first thing before I start talking about a couple of things and ideas to do with marketing when it comes to your, your communities. I want to talk about one of the biggest issues that I have found in marketing and that's the viral vanity. Okay, one of the things in marketing, and I've been you know, a lifelong marketer and entrepreneur, but I was also you know, in the corporate world for a while. And uh, my j second job out of college uh, after graduating was a national sales training manager of a packaging company. I flew around North America training people how to sell bubble wrap. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that again. I flew around North America training people how to sell air. Okay, so if you think, you know, in, in a... <laughs> In a down, I know not right now, but in a down market, it's hard to sell what you sell. Try selling air in a competitive marketplace. Ooh. And I used to run two-day training schools on that. 16 hours of content for pretty much. 
That's it. So one of the issues was that we are always looking at these metrics and metrics are great. I love numbers. I'm a data geek. I love conversion ratios. I'm an old school landing page guy from the late nineties. I've been doing this stuff for, for far too long. And the problem is the metrics and we have to make the metrics make sense and actual metrics. And a lot of things that I've noticed in the past decade, the past five years, even the past two years is the ability to grab real low hanging fruit metrics and say, see, it worked. And I discovered this doing something for, for, for me, for our company. So, so I told you that I'm a keynote speaker and this is what I do. So our job, my job, the goal here was very simple for me to generate awareness, get it out there that I'm a speaker, have videos go somewhere, get set, and then get inquiries for keynote bookings in the future. So our metric was mostly seeing the, the video and saying, hey, we should bring that person to our event. I would do 60 or so a year and that was the goal. And one of the nice things about what I do is that it's very transferable to content, bite-sized chunk content that is so popular today on a lot of the platforms. So we took one of my bits, that sounded weird, but it's, I work in bits when I'm talking, usually not right now necessarily because I'm, I'm doing as, as kind of broken down, down you know, to brass tack stuff as I can right now. But when I do a keynote on stage, it's more of a performance. I'm a storyteller. That's really my job. When I do a keynote at a conference in person, I tell three stories, maybe four stories, and tie in some examples to help it make it relevant for the audience. And one of the bits I've got is about millennials. Now, don't worry if you're millennial on here right now. I got you. Don't worry. I'm, I'm not ripping you, but it looks like I'm ripping millennials. Okay, I go on this rant, right? And my, my goal there is to get my fellow old people on my side first. And I just go off. But I qualify it first by saying, you know, millennials are actually between the ages of 20 and 38. Now, 20 and 38, was, that was just a range. But whatever the range is when I'm doing the talk, that's what I say. And I ask everybody who's 20 to 38, put their hands up, please. And they put their hands up. And I'm like, oh, and I feign surprise. Like, oh, you're here. And I thought it would be fellow old people. And then I say, so millennials in the audience, I'm going to translate what us older people are saying about you. When we say the word millennials, working with you, selling to you, hiring you, raising you, what we mean is people younger than us and we don't like you. Now that's, that's the joke. Okay. So usually see, I can't see you right now, but I'm assuming you're, you're laughing in all caps. I think you're laughing, you're falling off your chair, you're doing all the things, but that's part of the bit. And usually the audience goes crazy and it's wonderful. Now I'm not, I'm not trying to be uh, arrogant about this part of it. Like I, I got, I real-time testing. It's like I have a Google AdWords account and real-time analytics, but I'm on stage. If they're laughing, then I know the joke's working. So I've done that bit 50 to 100 times on stage. So I know it works. I've honed it. I've done the reps. I've got it done. Okay? I've got all these things done. And so I, I take that and I nail them with that. And the video I had for it was perfect. It was at the PRSA, the Public Relations Society's 4,000 people in there. And everything I was saying was just landing. It was landing. It was landing. It's just one of those days. It was working perfectly. And the great thing about the video was the audience was mic'd up too. So you can hear it. When people book me, they, it's not just me on stage. They want to transfer the audience feeling from that room to to, to their event. It's almost like creating a model home and saying, I want this room in, in my room because they want to see or, or the experience they're going to have. So I took the clip. I put it on the Unmarketing Facebook page. And at the time, we had 50,000 fans on the Unmarketing Facebook page. I put it out there. Okay, and we sent it. 
and it got a reach of about a quarter of a million people. So about 250,000 people reach. This is going to be important. And so a lot of times you look at that and say, hey, 50,000 base, it got a reach of a quarter million. That's five times the base. That could be a metric I'm happy with, but I wasn't because it wasn't taking off. It was hitting the people that I could reach and not spreading a lot. It was just through almost osmosis. You could, you, I could get that reach you know, because just the, the size of my audience originally. So I looked at what was happening, what videos were working, what videos that were funny, because I'm trying to play off humor. Because I think if you laugh, you, you listen. And then if you listen, you inadvertently learn, even if you don't want to or think you are. That's kind of how I use humor in what I do. That's try to what separates me from being a, a comedian to a business speaker, is there's gotta be some kind of point to the humor. It just can't just be laughing. There's gotta be a point to it. So I looked around and I noticed a lot of the videos that were getting a much more views, going much more viral, were different in a way that they were being letterboxed like this. Now, I don't care how the content is made. I just want the content, content consumed. That's the thing. And so I had to look at the point of my goal was to stop the scroll. Okay, that's really everybody's goal with content a lot. Stopping the thumb scroll on a phone, stopping the mouse scroll on a screen. And we have to understand the metrics of that. So I did that. Exact same clip, same exact length, but this time it's letterboxed. Fantastic. All right. Up next is Rhonda Conger. She's a vice president at CBH Homes, also an award-winning author and national speaker and fantastic human being, even if she was raised by wolves. Here's Rhonda Conger. If you don't have weird behind your title, just go ahead and, and you can tell whoever in your company. Ron said that I needed to add that because it's important that I'm a leader. So we're going to talk about what that looks like and what that feels like as you're leading through these times and being a really good human. So when COVID hit at CBH Homes, we decided that we needed a mantra. We needed a rallying cry to keep us focused, right? Again, those words keep coming up. We need leaders, we need focus. Well, I want you focused in the right direction during these times. So here were the first four things. Are you ready? We wanted you to survive, okay? We then wanted you to adapt. We wanted you to move and adjust whatever we needed to do, right? So you need to adapt to the environment and what's going on virtual and online and buying online and tour now and these locks and everything else you've got going on in your role, your marketing, your follow-up, however you're doing it. So you need to adapt so then you can advance and then you can cry. So those are the, I hope that you like are taking notes on those four things because that's what I want you to focus on right now. Focus on those four things so that you keep going the right direction. I love this story. And I'm gonna talk about it for a second. So you know that guy, uh, Mr. Rogers, he hangs out in the cardigans and the heads and sits down and puts them on and all those good things. And he uh, tells a story when he was a little boy and him and his mother um, happened upon a really bad accident and he was scared and he was anxious and couldn't figure out what to do or, or, or how to do or any of it. He kept going, mom, mom, what do I do? And I love what she said. During these times, you need to look for the doers, the helpers. The positive ones, that's you. That's you. That's who I want you to be. Because you have to understand, right here, right now, we need you as a leader. We need those types of people now more than ever. It's easy to go the other way, to be anxious and angry and upset, right? That's, 
that's the easy way in my opinion. I want you to hang over here with me. I want you to focus on leading through extraordinary times. I want you to focus on being really nice. I want you to focus on being one of the helpers, one of the doers. That's you. Because we need you now more than ever. Because here's the deal. Do you understand your greatest predictor of success in life and right here, right now, is your level of optimism? How do you see yourself? How do you see your company? How do you see your future? How do you see your health? How do you see all of this? Your level of optimism is the greatest predictor of your success. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. How do you hold yourself? How are you acting right now? What is it like to hang with you? What does that feel like? How's your optimism level? How are you spending your days? Are you doom scrolling? Are you complaining? Are you reading the news? Are you, what are you doing? That's what I'm gonna, And I'm going to help you with that. So I know that it is hard right now. And it's challenging. So I'm going to kind of share, right, some things that you can do to kind of combat all of that and kind of stay in this lane of leadership, this lane of being a nice human, a better human, push away the anxiety, push away the fear, and get in that whole, like, advancing and thriving mode, right? Advance and thrive. That's the look we're going for. Ten things, super simple, not rocket scientists. These are straight from me. Are you ready? Let's go. Here we go. Number one, guard what you're watching and listening to and who is coming into your phone. You need to block some emails, some phone numbers, because they are like dragging you down. And like, hey, did you see this story? Did you see that? Oh my God, did you hear how horrible that is? Can you believe that? Lose it. Block it. Get rid of it. It's your phone, by the way. How about this one? Fill your tank right now more than ever. You need like double and triple doses, right? Like I listen to a, um, you know, a book when I'm getting ready in the morning. Then once I get in my car, I'm listening all day long. I've got really incredible music going on the way home. I'm protecting my space. How about this one? Breathe. Apple Watch tells you to breathe because we kind of forget. We get so wound up so hard and so tight and we're like, ah, breathe. Be still. And remember, you're a leader. You have got this. Oh, that's a focus on the positive. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in depth. But just you know that uh, that's the direction we're going. That's the look that we want. So if you focus that way, you're more apt to go that way. Do what you can. Stop focusing on all the things that have been taken from you or changed or you can't. Next up is none other than Melanie Diesel, Chief Content Officer and Founder at Story Fuel, also a best-selling author of the Content Fuel Framework and the workbook connected to that that has been personalized with uh, the efforts of Do You Convert, as well as her and her team. That workbook is available on her website at contentfuelframework.com. Here's Melanie Diesel. Just take a quick 30 seconds, introduce yourself and, and your background and, and what makes you, again, in my words, maybe not yours, the content whisperer that we need right now. 
Yeah, so I'm Melanie Diesel. I'm the Chief Content Officer of StoryFuel, which is a company that helps marketers uh, and creators of all types figure out how to tell better stories and create better content. My background is that of a journalist. So I was, you know, studied journalism, always thought I'd be out there telling editorial stories, and I've been putting my skills to use on the marketing side ever since I graduated college. I've been at the New York Times, Time Incorporated, Huffington Post, and again here at StoryFuel now. And I've heard the of few of those. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and the, the latest big news in my world is that I, I launched uh, this book, The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. So just trying to live out my mission in this weird world that we're living in of, of helping people tell better stories. All right. And I love giving away books. So the next 15 people to direct message me on Slack, or if you're still one of the four people who's having trouble on Slack, email me <laughs> and prove that you're not in Slack and I'll get you a book too. <laughs> Uh, Melanie, what is the what are the silliest excuses that you've heard in, in the last couple of years as to why people can't do content? Things that just a, doesn't make sense. Like it, this sounds like it, it makes sense, but it just doesn't. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple common ones. Uh, the one I hear all the time, and if this is you guys, you know, drop it in the chat. Let us know. We'll we'll fix that for you. Is I'm not creative, or I'm not a creative person. I'm not a writer, you know, some version of that, uh, that they don't feel like they've got the skills to be able to do that. Uh, the other thing that I hear sometimes is that uh, I don't have the time or I don't have the resources to do it. So what, uh, what we often see is that there's, a, there's an easy way for you to do this at a scale that makes sense for you. So we don't want you to think that if you don't have, you know, Red Bull or Coca-Cola budget that you can't be out there creating something that's really meaningful. So those those are the two really common ones, though, I think is like, I don't have what it takes or I don't have the other resources that it takes. Right, right. And that's one of the things you do as a marketer is you're, uh, uh, someone told me a long time ago, you're listening for echoes from your consumer and from the market that you're serving, echoes of similar questions, similar needs. And already we're hearing echoes from this conference, which is hitting singles, hitting doubles, not trying to hit a home run and create, you know, a mini series uh, right yeah. off the bat. Well, every point counts, right? So, you know, if you've got to go for go for a single or a double, then it's definitely worth it. I mean, one of the things that I think is also really important is it is so much better for you to be doing a really good job of creating quality content in one or two places than to spread yourself too thin and be mediocre in a lot of places. And I think we feel that pressure sometimes that we have to post content. You know, we have to be communicating with our audience, email, blog, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. You know, it's very easy to get overwhelmed and wind up just creating content that you don't even love. You know, your audience certainly won't love it. So definitely focusing in on those areas where you're getting the most return, where you're here hearing those echoes where you're getting that engagement and really dedicate yourself to creating the best content you can for those places. All right, we're gonna go, I, some of you might have already seen the tease for the workbook. I got better things to tell you about that and we're gonna, we're gonna go through an example here in a minute. Not yet, but in a minute. Uh, Melanie, when you're working with someone who's helping you make content, whether it's a writer or a videographer, uh, an editor, any of those positions, what are the things that are reasonable to expect them to do versus, like, what am I bringing to them as the builder in this case? What do I need to, 
to, to own to make sure that we end up with a great product? And, and, and how do we figure out kind of that balance? Because I think so, that's what I hear people complain about is, well, I just can't find the perfect person to just do all this for me. And I think it's, it's I feel like it's because we're, we're going to find someone on Upwork for $10 <laughs> who can just know everything about our industry and what our customers want and need. Yeah, you, you make it a, a great point. I think one of the biggest issues when it comes to having a freelancer or a contractor who's working on your content and it's not working, it generally means that you're not giving them the information that they need in order to do that. So on one level, it's your expertise. They're gonna need to know the specifics of your industry, of your audience, of their platforms that you're working on so that they can create content that's well-suited to that. The other thing they're definitely going to need is a really clear brief from you on what you are expecting from that content. So oftentimes it's just a miscommunication. I thought you wanted something that was light and, you know, happy in tone, but really you were looking for something a little more corporate and formal, you know, or I thought you wanted something that was really interactive and had a lot of multimedia, but really you were looking for something simple that you could include inside of an And last but not least, the one and only Jeff Shore. You know him, you love him. Master of sales and sales training nationwide for home builders, but also the author of Follow Up and Close the Sale, Make Easy and Effective Follow-Up Your Winning Habit. The unbelievable follow-up to the similarly incredible Be Bold and Win the Sale. Here's Jeff Shore. Look, I'm very passionate about the subject of follow-up. There's no question about it. I, I believe that it's an important part of what it is that we do, and uh, we want to do it as, as, as well as it can be done. But just by definition, because I know we have a lot of different people here listening. We've got uh, on-site, off-site. We've got sales leaders. We've got marketers. I look at follow-up as any opportunity that we have to continue what I call the emotional altitude. And I think that's a really, really good place to start. When we think about the process of buying absolutely anything at all, but certainly when we're talking about buying a home, this is an emotionally driven conversation. There's no doubt about it. This is something where, you know, we're going to be completely emotionally engaged in this. So when we think about emotion, you can track it by something that I refer to as the buyer's emotional altitude. So that emotional altitude measures the level of positive emotional energy that we carry into a purchase process. So I just want you to think for just a moment about a time when you were in the market to buy something, you were really, really excited about it, right? You were just like, they were the really cool shoes or the car you always wanted, or you know, it, it, for, for some of you it would be a great bottle of wine uh, or a gun, you know, whatever it happened to be, but you were just like, oh, this is so cool. But also consider for a moment that it was a complicated purchase because the price was higher than you wanted to spend or you had some research to do or there's something that needed to be re resolved in order to do it. So what's happening? At the time that you're interacting with the sales professional, the time that you're interacting with the product, your emotional altitude is very, very high. But as soon as you walk away, you want to get some questions answered, you want to think about it, whatever it is, what's going to go on now, that emotional altitude starts to wane. And so when we look at follow-up, the purpose of follow-up is to sustain emotional altitude. It's to try and carry that customer's emotional altitude further along in the process. So let me give you an example, a, a picture of what that looks like. So I was at a conference, uh, some, it was actually back at the beginning of the year. 
and uh, it, it was it was a very interesting time because I was just getting ready to start writing this book. And I was at a conference and I met up with a lady there and, and we just, you know how it is at conferences. What do you do? Oh, what do you do? We had that conversation going. And so uh, she, she asked me what I did and I told her and she said, have you ever written a book? And I said, yeah, I've written a couple and you working on anything now. And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm working on a book on follow up and how to, how to sustain that emotional altitude. So I said, well, what do you do? And she said, uh, well, I'll answer it, but let me ask you one more question. Jeff, what do you have more, t- more of? Do you have more time or do you have more money? That was her question. What do you have more of, time or money? Now, that was a really, really interesting question. And I don't want to sit here and say that I'm loaded, but there's no doubt about it. In my life right now, I have more money than I have time. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not rolling in it, but I certainly have that flexibility. And, and I told her that. I said, I have, I have more money than, than I have time. And she said, that's what I do. I exchange time or I exchange money for time. People pay me for time. And then she said, I'm a ghostwriter. So you know how long it takes to write a book. You know how difficult that is. So what I do is I study you, I learn your stuff, I learn your voice, and then I write a book in your voice and nobody would ever know it. And in the meantime, what happens? You pay me to do that and you get all that time back. That's what I do for a living. I exchange people's money that they have for the time that they don't. Now, first of all, before I go any further, I have to tell you, that is a phenomenal presentation, right? That's a very cool value statement. I I was digging it. And as somebody who studies the sale on a regular basis, I was like, that's a great example of somebody who gets it. They really understand the, the value that they bring. So I told her, I said, tell you what, I want to go back to my team here and uh, just chat it up. Uh, it's a really interesting opportunity. I'm definitely intrigued. Uh, let, let's, let's talk later on. Okay. So then what happens? Uh, I go back to the team. We chatted up just a very little bit and then nothing happens. And about two weeks later, I get an email and the email says, just checking in. Have you made a decision? That's about the size of it, which I promptly ignored. Why? because I was on vacation at the time. Uh, After a while, what do you think happened to my emotional altitude? It just fell off a cliff. I had simply forgotten about this entire process. Well, interestingly enough, I ran into this lady a couple of months later on. And she said to me, Jeff, you never got back to me. She accused me. She said, Jeff, you never got back to me. And I said, I I have to tell you something. Uh, When I was talking to you, I was fired up. I was all in. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed that example of some of the content that was covered at this year's Pulse event. Thanks again for all those that attended. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you back here next time.